Hey everyone and welcome back to Run Past the Brain Cell. I'm Adam Skirko, as always, joined by my co-host Jake Miller. Jake, how are you doing? Pretty good, all things considering. We did really suck with our pickums for uh, who we thought would win the NFL games that we picked for our eyes on five, but yeah, not it was our still best. a pretty good week of football. There was quite a few comebacks, some upsets, and overall just a pretty good game, except for the early game that you decided to pick. How was that Frankfurt game? Um, Awful. It, it made Panthers-Bears look entertaining. And yeah, we fucking butchered our picks, which, granted... The early window, Jake, was really, really good outside of the one game that everyone thought would be fantastic. It turned into a one-sided blowout of epic proportions. And we're actually going to start things off with our Eyes on 5 recap. And we are going to start with that Frankfurt game. Indianapolis taking on New England in Germany. And the Colts come out with a 10-6 win in a game that probably was great. If you were drunk. Now, Gardner Minshew, Jake, he had a solid performance. Nothing spectacular. 18 to 28 for 194 and a pick. But he did not get sacked once. And they ran the ball. Eh. Jonathan Taylor, 23 carries, 69 yards, and the only touchdown of the game. But they ran it 26 times in total. And it was basically a matter of trying to establish a run, keep a balance, 28 passes, 26 runs. But granted, Zach Moss, he got one total carry. And Garner Minshew, he lost yards. But Jake, on offense for the Colts, Michael Pittman got more targets than everyone else by a mile. Matter of fact, Jake, if you add the total targets, Michael Pittman had 12, the rest of the team had 14 and that includes only three to josh downs one to alec pierce one to jonathan taylor and one to mo alley cox hell will mallory a guy who i think i've seen at my local chase bank had more targets than jonathan taylor and kylan granson i think i bought a sandwich from him the other day but on defense they played really well they got after both um, Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. Granted, Zappi, he mostly faced pressure, whereas Mac Jones got sacked five times, hit another nine times. They were just absolutely pounding this New England O-line. And Jake, Mac Jones, I think we've seen the end for McCorkle now. If it was in doubt before, now I think it's absolutely over. 15 and 20, 170, and a pick that was so bad, I think you and I could have made the throw better because it was a surefire touchdown. It was a surefire touchdown, and he short armed it because he was scared. And Julian Blackman just said, Thanks, I'll take the win. And, I mean, New England on defense, they played okay. They also did get a pick off of Gardner Minshew, Miles Bryant. But, Jake, this overall was a rough game. I think New England is definitely now in the quarterback sweepstakes, potentially Caleb Williams sweepstakes. But here's what I want to ask you. Do you think that uh, New England, New York is going to be the battle for number two overall? 
Oh, easily. I definitely could see the Giants and the Patriots kind of fighting their way for that second overall pick just because of how much of a shit show both these teams are. I mean, obviously, you're not going to get Caleb Williams unless, and this is a big hypothetical, the Bears get the number one overall pick and they decide to stick with Justin Fields and take Marvin Harrison. That is the only way Caleb does not go number one, is if they decide, or if the Cardinals get the first overall pick, and they decide to just say, fuck it, we're sticking with Kyler, get Marvin. Those are the only two scenarios where Caleb or Drake May do not go number one. And there is a legit possibility because all the rumors I've heard about saying, like, hey, we're sticking with these two guys, even if we get the chance at Caleb or Drake May. And I'm thinking, like, hell, support your quarterback. But, I mean, we've seen teams say, like, yeah, he's our quarterback. We're going to stick with him. Then they draft a replacement or they trade the guy. Sorry, ass. It's a dime a dozen type thing. But either way, either if either of those teams get Drake or Caleb, I am totally okay with it. I don't want to see them get ruined. But I think they're, I'm not going to say bust proof, because no player, especially quarterback, is bust proof. But they are pretty safe quarterbacks, in my opinion. But on to the game, that you are right. I only watched a condensed version of this, because I'm thinking like, this news fest, I'm sleeping in, fuck this. And I legit feel sorry for you. Because of what you had to watch. Ugh. It was and so bad. It wouldn't have shocked me if you did have a, some alcohol and you trying to watch this game. Because I wouldn't have blamed you one bit. Because I would love to see the blood alcohol content level of the Germans when this game was going on at Frankfurt. It would have because, to be high. Oh, easy. Probably above legal limit. Oh yeah, but, for sure. This was a this was a freaking a defensive this I can't even call this a defensive slugfest. This was just offensive ineptitude at its finest. The only saving grace you have as a Patriots fan is Demario Douglas looks really good as a number two or a number three. You don't got a number one. Your tight ends chipped into bit there. I'm okay with their Titans the way it is. They're a little older, but hell, they're still decent. You need a number two, which I don't think Juju's that number two. Demario could be a good three or a, a in fix two, but look at them. If they don't draft a, a receiver in the first round, look at them to draft a receiver in the second or third because this receiver class is going to be stacked. But the Michael Pittman stat you shared... Uh, 12 targets on 8 receptions. I'm thinking like, okay, you can live with that. He's definitely showing like, hey, I'm back and I have what it takes to be an alpha. Now, how often do you hear Michael Pittman being in the talks of top 10, top 12 receiver? Never. Exactly. I think he's trying to establish himself as being in that top 10, top 12 range. Now, of with Gardner Minshew, it's hard to look like that. Because it's all quick throws and run after the catch. 
But that's not Pittman's game. That's going to be like, he's a jump ball 50-50 guy. With Richardson coming back next year, he could establish himself as that. Right now, top 20, I'd say. The MVP of this game, though, is someone that not a lot of people can't even pronounce his name. I had to practice a bit. And that is Deo Odoingbo. He had three sacks on the freaking day. He plays interior defensive line. And he's like a big DE in their set. But he kicks inside quite often to, to kick a guard's ass. He did. He was just in the backfield kicking the shit out of McCorkle Jones and Bailey Zappi. He was literally what DeForest Buckner should have been in this game. And you mentioned it when we were just re- talking about the podcast before we started recording. That was Zaire Franklin. He was probably your MVP, right? I mean, 15 total tackles? For sure. And I think that the biggest thing is having a lot of tackles and having a linebacker who can get a lot of tackles like that is really underrated because it allows basically backs if they are getting the ball or receivers if they're getting the ball on short routes to get no rack, no run after catch, nor yak. And when you have a guy like that who basically tackles the person where they catch the ball, you can save so much on third down. And you can even look at that in the stats, Jake. I mean, not crazy good on third down for either team. 5 of 13 for the Colts and 6 of 14 for the Pats. And I think the biggest thing, Jake, to take from this game is we're probably going to see Bailey Zappi for the rest of the year because Mac Jones was benched on the final drive, letting Bailey Zappi come in. But Bailey Zappi, I mean, it was almost a guarantee that he wasn't going to win it. And he threw a pick right into Rodney Thomas's arms. Big surprise. I think that yeah. I think that the Pats, if it were me, I know the speculation about firing Bill Belichick. I think you have to at least consider it. But we're going to move things on here to your first game, which I believe was Bucks-Titans. Oh, this game was something. I'm not going to say something good, something bad, or something else. It was just something. Baker is literally playing his ass off. Um, If he was going against any other rookie quarterback in the league this year, like what he did last week, he that should have been a walk-off TD game for them. Like, hey, 43 seconds left on the clock, we win. And he's playing like... Dare I say a top 12 quarterback? I don't know if I would say top 10. But the quarterback's coach and the OC for the Bucks have brought him back to what he looked like when he was Offensive Rookie of the Year. And when he marched into Heinz Field and beat the Steelers in a playoff game. He is looking like his former self. I mean... 18 for 29, 278, two touchdowns. He did throw a pick, but with Baker, he has that gunslinger mentality. He's always going to have a risk of throwing an interception, but he's more often than not this year throwing more tight spirals and not 
shit throws like he did the last two years when he was with the Browns. Or Rams or Panthers. Kind of just pick your poison on that one. Will Levis had another rookie moment. He got about a 50% completion percentage, 199 and a pick. What really killed the Titans is they just couldn't get the fucking run game going. That was the thing I was super worried about when against this Bucks front seven. That front seven can't kick the shit out of the run game. They had 16 carries total for 42 yards. That is less than a... That's like a 2.6, 2.7 average. Derrick Henry only had 2.2 yards of carry. And we're talking about a big fucking back here. Hell, we always kind of joke around saying he's like 6'3 and 260. Oh, he's taller than 6'3. He's like 6'4. Right. Now, that is what really killed him. Is like They couldn't get the run game going, and they had to rely on Will Levis, which I like Will Levis. He has a lot of potential, but he's a rookie. He's not C.J. Stroud, which C.J. Stroud being an MVP conversation is something we haven't seen in a hot minute. But this game was all over the place. You actually started Mike Evans this week, which he didn't fuck you for once. He had six for 143 and a touchdown. He was their MVP. He is still showing at his age he can still kick ass and be a number one, which I love seeing. What did you think about this game? Well, I can break down my thoughts pretty easily and pretty quickly on this game. It really comes down to the fact that the Titans have no O-line. I mean, you said it, 16 total carries for 42 yards, and we've seen that pretty much consistently for Derrick Henry this year. His longest run, Jake, was eight yards. He has not been able to find any holes because he basically has to run about 10 yards before he can get to the line of scrimmage. Like you said, Baker played well, but they can't really run the ball either, and that's going to be their biggest Achilles heel. That's what it has been for the last three, four years. They have not been able to get a consistent run game outside of that one little stretch with Leonard Fournette in the playoffs. Now, like you said, I started Mike Evans in fantasy. He really bailed me out. But, I mean, even Rashad White taking that pass 43 for the touchdown, that's not something we've really seen. But I credit the defense as well, Jake, because Will Levis was getting swarmed. They sacked him four times. They hit him another 13. The fact that you're getting double-digit quarterback hits on a mobile quarterback, Levis isn't crazy mobile, but he can move around. That is just, I mean, his passer rating, Jake, was 53. That's something that you can live with your defense giving anytime. And then on the Titans side, DeAndre Hopkins was targeted nine times and had three catches for 27 yards. Kyle Phillips was their leading receiver. I think what we're seeing right now is a Titans team that is trying to figure out what they have with Levis, but they can't really get an accurate assessment because he has virtually no blocking. He can't get a run game with Derrick Henry because they're still loading the box with eight or nine and just saying, yeah, good luck. And he doesn't really have a consistent number one because... I love DeAndre. I still think he has the potential to be a number one in the league, but I think at his this stage, 
he would be the ultimate two. And Kyle Phillips isn't a one. Chris Moore is not. Josh Weil is it is a backup tight end. Nick Westbrook Akine is not that great. And Jake, I want to finish off with this stat mainly. If you look at third down efficiency, neither team was great. But if you go to fourth downs, the the Bucks didn't have a fourth down attempt. The Titans went 0 of 2. They wanted to get aggressive and it bit them in the ass. And when you have a game where it looked, it didn't even look close. It didn't look close. I think what we're going to see is a look in the mirror for the Titans. And I think we're, we're probably going to see is them have to shift to a bit more of a receiver passing oriented game. I could see Derrick Henry getting traded at the end of this season. I don't know where. I know you would love him in Green Bay with your Packers, but I don't really know. But I think that moving forward, the Titans, they're they're done. They're done. Oh, agreed. And I don't remember this play, but you want to hear a really weird stat for this game? Sure. The Buccaneers have Kyle Trask on a rushing attempt for negative one yards. When the fuck did he come in the game? Probably kneel down. Oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. But we're going to move forward with our next game, and that was my game where I chose the Steelers-Packers game. Pittsburgh at home takes the win 23-19 against Jordan Love, and Jake, Jordan Love hurts my head. Jordan Love really hurts my head. I mean, you look at the stat line, you know, 21 of 40 for 289, two touchdowns, but he had two picks. And that's sort of what I see with Jordan Love. It's so inconsistent. Now, you look at the run game, they ran the ball pretty damn well. A.J. Dillon had nine carries for 70 yards. Now, you can say it was skewed with a 40-yard run, but I'm not one of those freaks who go, well, if you take away their biggest run, they only have... I'm not going to be that guy. But Jake, I think Aaron Jones might be washed. 13 carries, led the team in carries, but 35 yards. 2.7 yards per carry. That's awful. That's so bad. And he's considered your number one back. Now, Jaden Reed had a pretty nice game. Five catches 84 yards and a touchdown but Christian Watson Jake seven targets he had two for 23 I know that the Steelers defense is okay they're not that good though with all of the injuries that they've had and then not to mention you can't throw two picks against a team like the Steelers where they live off defense that's how they've been winning their games and you definitely cannot allow 205 yards rushing by a Pittsburgh team that, for a while, Jake, we didn't even know if they could run the ball. Najee Harris had arguably one of his best games in his career. 16 for 82 and a touchdown. Jalen Warren, though, 15 for 101 and a touchdown. They basically carried the team because Kenny Pickett, uh, 14 and 23 for 126, no touchdowns, no picks. 
Jake, I I understand people like Kenny Pickett. He's a pit guy, hometown kid, gets drafted. They basically have the locker rooms for the pit college team and the Steelers right across the hall. But Jake, I just I can't take the Steelers seriously and I think that the Packers if it were me, I would be looking to take a quarterback because I don't think Jordan loves the answer. He had three years behind Aaron Rodgers, and yet we never heard anything crazy good. Whereas, you know, even with Aaron, we heard that he wowed in practice when, you know, you had Favre. I don't think Jordan loves the guy. I just don't. And I think that with this college class, you're going to have probably five guys that you could legitimately argue could be taken. I think Green Bay is going to be landing probably around 10. You could maybe get a Bo Nix or trade up and try and get Penix or even J.J. McCarthy, who's definitely played his way into top 10 consideration. Oh, easy. This is one of those games that's kind of like, well... My Packers sucked dick. Uh, you held Kenny Pickett to 126 passing yards. You did great on that front. You held George Pickens to 3 for 45, but lo and behold, the Packers and Joe Barry's biggest fucking weakness, the goddamn run game. That has always been the Packers' Achilles heel on defense. They have always been able to stop the pass to a good degree, but... If you look at the metrics, they have almost always been a below average, average at best, run defense team. They just can't stop the run to save their ass. And you said it best. Jordan Love is the ultimate 50-50 turnstile. Almost a 50% completion rating. Two picks, two touchdowns. He has a lot of throws where it's just like, wow, this kid is fucking fantastic. You look at the other 50% and thinking like, what the fuck did you see here? Why did you throw that interception? Why are you throwing way off balance and way off platform? It's just, it's mind boggling. And the way they are going, they actually have a chance to get a high pick. I think they're set at the number sixth overall pick. It's just, what the fuck? And... The one thing that I'm thinking, like, okay, I'm looking at their third and fourth down efficiency. 50% for third down efficiency. You can live with that. You went two for two on your fourth down efficiency. Great. Third down efficiency for the Steelers, shit like always this year. Four for 13. They got outgained again. Again, they've gotten outgained. They've been outgained, I think, in every game, right? Uh, Yeah. They're the only team to be this late into a season with... To have be outgained in every single game in offense and have a winning record. Now, each team only allowed one sack. You can deal with that. But it's just like if you look at the actual yards, passing yards, 283 to 119. Like I said, the Achilles heel for the Packers, 116 rushing to 205. They even beat them in yards per play at 6.1 to 5.4. It's just. Oh my god. I don't know. Time possession was nearly dead even as well. It's just, I don't get it. One bit. 
You know, you do know what the biggest thing though is, Jake, that you missed. What the red zone efficiency? One of five for the Packers, two of three for the Steelers. They were able to get down into the red zone, but when they got there, they either settled for field goals or they didn't get shit. The thing with the Packers is, I know they've had red zone woes for the for this year. They are great. Maybe not great. I would say good in between the 20s. Once they get into that 20 zone, I don't know if Jordan Love is just not being able to see the field because it's so closed off. If the receivers are getting or bumping into each other or something like that because of how condensed the field is, I don't fucking get it. But their red zone efficiency, you are right, is total shit. It's it's honestly terrifying. That's just, you can't be that bad and expect to win. But Jake, we're going to move on to your second game, which was Cleveland stealing one against Baltimore. The Browns beating the Ravens 33-31 to in a divisional matchup that has a lot of storylines coming out of it. But Jake, this was your game. What were your thoughts? <sighs> uh, Deshaun Watson played like a $23 million quarterback compared to $230 million quarterback. Um, Jerome Ford is impressing very much still to this day. Amari Cooper came out and had a hell of a day as well. Elijah Moore had a touchdown siding, which I really liked to see. Greg Newsom and that secondary is playing like a fucking madman. Um, Miles Garrett showing that he is still a freaking pain in the ass sack and a half. And that was the one thing I said when I picked this game was I need to see how Miles Garrett deals with Lamar Jackson. He got a sack and a half. I will take that. Now we did pick the Ravens to win this, but I think this, the whole story saying, oh, freaking Deshaun Watson matched a uh, Lamar Jackson and beat him in his own house. Bullshit. Deshaun Watson played like shit. What really helped this damn Browns team is the best defense in the league. They have a top five secondary unit, a freaking athletic freak at linebacker in JOK, and oh, yeah. Let's just not forget about the best damn pass rusher in the league in Miles Garrett. He is currently tied for the league lead in sacks at 11, I believe. He is just being a wrecker this season. Uh, <laughs> the Ravens have a top three defense unit. They have finally figured out their passing game. They're still running the ball super well. I think what killed them in this is that they didn't put their foot on the throat to finish the Browns off. They played hard in the first half. They played soft in the second half. That is what killed them. They're thinking like, oh, we're up massively and it's the Browns. We can just play soft and just say, fuck it. We can just ride this train till we win. Nope. That has always been one issue with the Ravens is that they get ahead and they either play down to competition or they just let off the break. They let off the gas. I don't understand it. Um, Lamar had one bad game. 
Jadavion Clowney had two sacks, Justin Matabuque, which a lot of people don't know. He is currently having a career year. He has 8.5 sacks on the year. And we can't forget about Rokon Smith. 21 total tackles. 14 solo, 7 assists. He was all over the field. And I think what really killed uh, the Ravens, they, one of them this game, Justin Tucker missed a field goal. That does not happen. No, it doesn't. And it's very rare that you'll see that. But Jake, I'm going to have to disagree, though, because, or at least amend one of your statements. Deshaun Watson played like shit in the first half. He went. He did play good in the second half. I will in the agree second with that. half. Now overall, it doesn't look great because you know if you do the math, he was six of twenty in the first half. But fourteen of fourteen in the second half to beat this Ravens team—that is something that you know deserves a little bit of uh, credit. What really killed the Ravens, though, in my opinion, is the fact that. They really, Lamar, that last pick, it was really unfortunate. Goes back for six. Greg Newsom, Johnny on the spot, and is able to take it in. But, Jake, if you look at the team stats, if you look at this team stats here, the Ravens only had eight third down attempts, and they went two of eight. The Browns went eight of 16. You also look at total plays, 75 to 50. You also look at... At, you know, red zone. The Ravens went one for two. The Browns went two of five. Not great, but that is a big difference. And here's the other thing, Jake. 34-15 time of possession for the Browns. 34 minutes to 26 for the Ravens. What they basically did, even though they were playing from behind most of the day, once they were able to drive down for that field goal, they took up all the clock they did not risk letting the ravens get the ball back because it was 31 to 30 the ravens vaunted defense was on the field and they could not get a stop deshaun watson he showed a little bit of houston deshaun watson now unfortunately he is now out for the rest of the year due to i believe his left shoulder which is unfortunate but i can tell you this no one's going to miss him it's unfortunate for exactly one person, and it's him. Now, I do think that the Browns with P.J. Walker, they have experience playing with him, so I don't think it's going to be too much of a big difference for them, but I would look for Jerome Ford to continue to have these big games. And Jake, they ran the ball 36 times, and they got 178 yards on the ground against this Ravens defense. Whereas Keaton Mitchell... He had three big splash. He had three big carries, three carries, 34 yards and a touchdown. He didn't get another touch really in the second half. It was all Gus Edwards. That was the big tale of this game. And I think that Miles Garrett, Jake, he's getting some MVP rumblings, which I would not be upset with if he won it. Because again, there's no real big QB that is taking over the league this year. But Jake, we're going to move on to our final game. This was the shared game. And like I said, the early window was actually fantastic this past week, except for the one game that everyone was excited for. San Francisco and Jacksonville. The Niners 
absolutely housed the Jaguars in a game that wasn't even close by any stretch of the imagination. 34-3. Brock Purdy, 19-26, 296, three touchdowns. <coughs> That's going to be fun to edit. But he played very efficient. He also, Jake, had his full cast of characters back. Trent Williams was back. Debo was back. And when you have all of those players back, he's basically unbeatable. Because then they can basically do whatever they want. And I think the other thing, Jake, that I would be looking at is if you look at how they ran the ball as well. They ran it 30 times for 144 yards because they had that balance. Debo had three carries for 29 yards and he had a touchdown. That's what he brings. He brings you a physical runner at the wide receiver position, which is something that you really don't have. And Kittle with that 66-yard touchdown. Jake, I actually didn't start Kittle this past week in fantasy, and I thought when I saw that touchdown, I was burying my head in my hands. I was just like, you're kidding me. I'm fucked. Thankfully, Dalton Kincaid gave me a very solid performance. He gave me, I think, 16 points. Nowhere near the 20 that Kittle had, though. And, Jake, this team was also able to force Trevor Lawrence into two picks, and they also got a fumble on this team as well. They, or excuse me, they got two fumbles. They stripped Trevor Lawrence, and that was Nick Bosa, who just absolutely ripped it out, and then Christian Kirk also got stripped. This game, Jake, really came down to the ultimate marriage between San Fran's offense and and their defense, because Trevor Lawrence, Jake, I love Trevor Lawrence. He was my pick for MVP this year. And yet, when I look at it, I don't think he's regressed. But I feel like there are just instances where he holds the ball in t at times which we didn't really see last year. He didn't hold the ball as much. And I don't know if it's things that he's not seeing, if it's things that... He's just not able to rip. I don't know what it is, but he has not looked like himself. Now, I believe Doug Peterson came out and said that his health might be an issue because of that knee injury that he'd suffered a few weeks back. It definitely could be, but I, I can't put all of this on just a knee injury because the run game was also non-existent. 17 total carries for 59 yards. Christian Kirk, he had a good game. And Foyasad, Jake, our boy Foyasad Aluakan had the only two sacks for the Jacksonville defense. But overall, Jake, this was just, it, it was a thrashing. And the Niners really is, those games against my Seahawks are going to be really interesting because that might be for the division. Oh, easy. Purdy finally had a, another good game to kind of bounce back from the possible concussion that he got cleared way too quickly for earlier in the season you kind of saw the 49ers kind of get back into form of kicking the shit out of really good teams they did kind of force christian mccaffrey to try to continue his td streak to 18 but hell you're up freaking like 
24 at that point. I'm glad you noticed that too, because yeah, they tried to run that little out route to get him a touchdown. Mm. You're up 24 at that point. Fucking who gives a shit? Try to continue the record to make it impossible even more. Um, Yeah, Purdy was just great. The defense for them. <laughs> oh, it was uh, nasty. Fred Warner was all over the place, and we finally saw Talanoa Huafunga kind of have his, I wouldn't say resurgence, but he was allowed to get an interception and kind of just kick the shit out of everybody. My, the one play that kind of said like, ooh, this is not going to be good for the Jags, was that Chase Young and Nick Bosa meeting at Trevor Lawrence and making him fumble very early on and thinking like, well, shit. That was if the strip. Yep. If this is any indication of how this game's going to go, I'm thinking like, ah, this is not going to go good for them. They freaking... Loris was just under duress all game. He got sacked five times. And, oh, dude, it was just not pretty. I The one thing that you can say that the Niners have to get better at is third down efficiency. They were 4 for 12, same with the freaking Jags, 4 for 12. First and second down, phenomenal. Third down, not so much. Um, I think another thing they have to really work on is their penalties. Now, yes, you kicked the shit out of the Jags, but you had 7 penalties for 90 yards. You don't want to see that when you're going up against a team that could potentially push back on you like let's go with the eagles for example for one or in the playoffs if they make it to the super bowl they can't have that 90 yards happening no but debo finally came back and showed that he is still debo samuel he had three carries for and for 29 in that touchdown which nice to see he could still rock the fucking ball in his hands like that but overall, this game was just a total shellacking that we did not think was going to happen. Because we both had the Jags as our winner for this game. Yeah, that didn't work out very well. <laughs> I, do, I don't think you and I expected this because I don't think we... I think we might have known that Debo was going to be playing, but I don't remember. But yeah, 437 total yards to 221. Yeah, that's an ass whooping. There, there's no other way to put it. That's an ass whooping. But Jake, we're going to move away from that. And we're going to talk about last night's game, Thursday night football, the Ravens beating the Bengals in Baltimore. But Jake, the game was almost secondary because Joe Burrow got hurt again. Stop me if you've heard this before, Jake. Joe Burrow is out for the year with an injury. Now, I know the injury, the sack was really bad because the takedown, when he got taken down, his hand got smushed underneath that lineman. And I knew straight up, I thought, well, I thought it was his hand. It turned out to be his wrist. And yeah, if you break your wrist, you're pretty much out, especially because I'm pretty sure it was on his throwing hand. And that is not going to work. Now, they before he left, he was looking all right. 11-17, 101, and a touchdown. His backup, Jake Browning, former UW guy, he played okay. But, I mean, not there's not much you can expect from a backup. 
Now, they, like I said, they did run the ball pretty decent. I know you were happy, Jay. Joe Mixon, you know, 16 carries, 69 yards fantasy-wise, and he had a receiving touchdown. You'll take that. But, I mean, looking at this game, Jake, also Jamar Chase targeted seven times, and he had two catches for only 12 yards. He did have a touchdown, but the Ravens don't have that great of a secondary, and yet Jamar Chase was a bit of a non-factor. Now, it didn't help that... T. Higgins being out, and then on defense, Jake, you also had Sam Hubbard being out, which meant you could focus all your attention on Trey Hendrickson. Now, he still got a sack, but regardless, he you couldn't really do a whole lot. But the Ravens didn't go unscathed either, Jake. Mark Andrews was out with an ankle injury at, in the first quarter, and Lamar was getting banged up too. There was a few times where I thought he was not going to play. Now, Gus Edwards is continuing this streak of two touchdown performances. I believe this is now the fourth straight game with two touchdowns for Gus Edwards. It's kind of getting outrageous. And they ran the ball 31 times for 157 yards. Very, very efficient running to 5.1 a clip. And Lamar played well. He, this is what we're expecting from Lamar now, Jake. 16 and 26 for 264 and two touchdowns. And Odell. Four for 116, and had Lamar thrown one just a little bit more accurate in the first quarter, he might have added 50 more yards to it because it was maybe one step out of reach for Odell, which is saying a lot because that man can fly. And Jake, they also had a couple touchdowns go back, be, come back because of penalty. I mean, Zay Flowers had a sweet touchdown on that screen that unfortunately ended up getting called back. But Nelson Aguilar had a really nice catch and run, which you won't find me uh, complimenting Nelson Aguilar very often. But he played well. Rashad Bateman, he played well as well. Their receivers as a whole played well, Jake. But I think this defense getting five sacks on both Joe Burrow and Jake Browning, it's showing that they can definitely... I think the Ravens, Jake, have an argument of being the best team in football because they are able to play extremely physical. They're able to run the ball very efficiently. Keaton Mitchell had another solid day, eight carries, 33 yards. They're going to use him sparingly. But I would look at the Ravens, Jake. I think that they might be the best team in football, and we're just now realizing it because we're, we've been blinded by the Niners, and the Eagles, and the Chiefs, and don't sleep on Jacksonville, or the Detroit. I think the Ravens might be the best team in football, Jake. You could definitely make that argument. I kind of think that last week was kind of an anomaly for them, giving up, like you said, 14 for 14 with Deshaun Watson. I think that was kind of them just kind of like, like I said earlier, not having their foot on the throat and crushing them when they should have. But, yeah, Lamar Jackson is having another MVP-like season. And, oh, shit, what other quarterback can you really say is having an MVP-like season? There hasn't really been, like you said earlier, any strong consideration for that one guy that is kind of like he's above and beyond. Now, in the second half of the season, that's usually when Mahomes kind of like picks things up and he we might see that kind of help him out but I don't know I think the big story for this game 
besides Burrow being out for the rest of the year is Mark Andrews is out for the rest of the year. And you're down probably your best weapon at that point. Now, you do have Isaiah Likely and Charlie Kohler. Charlie Kohler is kind of an interesting option. We might see him get a lot of opportunities with Andrews out for the rest of the year, but I'm unsure. But you were right. This was the Odell Beckham Jr. show. Four receptions for 116. He went off. And I'm glad to see that he still has that gas in him to be that type of player. Because I love seeing that for him. Because anytime OBJ is having a good day, it's a good day for football, in my opinion. Because he is one of the most loved players in the NFL. The Bengals... If freaking Burrow was in for the whole game, I think you would have seen probably like a 31-34 game. It would have been a lot more competitive and a lot more closer. Browning played as good as you could expect for a guy with... This might have been his first start. I could be wrong on that. Yes, he had um, attempted one career pass beforehand. Yeah, so this was his first career start. He showed up his well, he legs. Didn't start, technically, but yeah, you I get, get my what you point. Mean. Uh, four for 40 on the rushing. He showed up his legs. Hell, that's good. I'll take that. Eight for 14. He's a backup. First start-ish start. You'll take that. 68 and a touchdown. It could have been way worse. But is it safe to say the Bengals are now out of the playoff consideration? Oh, absolutely. Because absolutely. They're, they're, they're out. I, because, Jake, what, what we're seeing is you have too many good quarterbacks in this conference now. There's just too many. And if you want to even compete, you need Joe Burrow. Now, like I said, Browning played okay, but... Even still, it's just, you can't really feel good when your best team, like the best shot you have, Jake, was the wild card, and you have no shot at that now. You just really don't. Now, Agreed. I think you and I both can agree on this, though. In this game, you can get away with it because Burrow did get hurt, but... The Ravens did have nine penalties for 110 yards. I saw now, it that. Really and I was balanced. Like, yeah. Oh, sorry, it re- oh no no go. You're good. I yeah. But the fact that the Bengals had nine penalties as well really saved them. But it was only for 78 yards. I would keep an eye on that moving forward because also time of possession was almost identical. 30. 37 for the Ravens, 29-23 for the Bengals. Even though it was a 14-point game, I would keep an eye on that because you do not want that at all when we get into the playoffs. But, Jake, we're going to move away from the recaps of games real quick, and we're going to talk about our overachievers and underachievers, or as we call it, over-under. And, Jake, we're going to start with your overachiever who do you have as your shock of this season now it's not a shock for me but it is a shock for the national media i would say and that is the houston texans 
I had them finishing as a mid-tier team. You know, close to 500, maybe 8 and 9, 7 and 10 at worst, which with the rookie quarterback, rookie head coach, and a not-so-great roster, that would have been a good season for them. They have been kicking ass lately. CJ Stroud is an MVP conversation. The last time a rookie who had won MVP was Jim Brown. The fact that he is even in consideration is phenomenal. And you also have to look at, they do not have a run game. Damian Pierce has been good this year, but he's been out these last few games. So it's kind of like, well, fuck it. CJ Stroud, you're off the leash now. Let's see what you can do, kid. He has 15 touchdowns for two picks, and he is second in the NFL for passing yards. The Texans are real, and the amount of pressure and pass rush win rate, a stat we don't talk about that much, for these Houston Texans, specifically Will Anderson and Jonathan Grenard, is monstrous. And I'm loving it. I really think the head coach hiring for them was phenomenal. Hiring a former Houston Texan for them has just been great. He is, And that staff is connecting with the players so well. Their OC is doing great for the Texans as well. Overall, that is my over because I thought that they're exceeding my expectations when I was very high on them. They could make the playoffs at this point. Who was your over? Well, I would have to say that, to be honest, Jake, I think my over would probably have to be the Detroit Lions. Now, and hear me out, because what I had said was, I think everyone predicted the Lions to win this division. There were a few Minnesota fans, maybe like one or two uh, Chicago Bears supporters outside of the Windy City. But we looked at Detroit and we all thought, riding their momentum from last season, that they could win the division. I don't think anyone really expected the chance of them potentially being the number one seed. They're really only a game back of the Eagles, Jake. They're 7-2, and two, the Eagles are 8-1, and one, and the Eagles, they're going to have a pretty rough schedule. Now, Detroit's no cakewalk, but at the same time, they still Detroit still has two games against the Vikings. Now, the Vikings are riding a five-game win streak, don't get me wrong. They're playing extremely well, thanks to the astronaut Josh Dobbs, after Kirk Cousins going down. But the Lions are a better team. They sh- probably should win at least one of those. The Eagles, though, they still play the Cowboys. I think they might play the Commanders one more. Or no, they played the Commanders already. Never mind. They might have a game against the Giants, which, whatever. But I think, Jake, that Detroit... I don't know how many people really had them as the potential number one seed in the NFC because we look at Jared Goff and we think he's really, really good. We don't think he's great, though. We look at Dan Campbell as a head coach and we think he's a good coach, but he's not really great. I think the crazy thing is, Jake, is you look at Detroit in division, they still have five more division games. And the division is Drek. The Packers are awful. I'm sorry, your Packers are... I would rather watch paint dry. And the Bears, they 
are we sure that Justin Fields is going to come back? Now, he's going to try and come back because he doesn't want to get replaced. And I think when he does come back, he can play well. But I don't think they have the talent to beat the Lions. I think the Lions, Jake, they could be, because of their division, they could legit be a 13-4, and 14-3 team. I don't know if they'll win out, but you can't completely rule it out. I think Detroit's my over because I don't think anyone really expected the defense that they have to be also performing really well. Aiden Hutchinson, he's having a quiet good year. And Brian Branch, everyone talked about him as being a great value pick. He's genuinely played himself into at least a conversation for rookie of the year. I doubt he's going to win it. I think Devin Witherspoon, Will Anderson, Jalen Carter have much stronger cases. But Brian Branch has played very, very well as a rookie. But Jake, I want to go to your underachiever. And I think I already know who it is. Who you got? Yeah. My under was the pick for a division winner. For one of the weirdest freaking uh, divisions in the NFL. And that is the Falcons in the NFC South. They are only one game behind the Saints, but the Falcons are looking like 28-3 is still haunting them, and they are choking a lot. I can't really say how much they're choking because I try to keep this PG-13, but people get the point. Um, They're 4-6. <laughs> and six. It has taken them half the fucking year to say, oh, wow. Tyler Alger, yeah, he's a good goal line back. But our eighth overall pick in Brian in Bijan Robinson, he's even better in the red zone as a as a running back. Let's use him. He he's top seven or top eight in the league in rushing yards, if I remember right. But one, you're not utilizing him in the passing game as much as you should. He has been phenomenal whenever he can get the ball in his hands and on the passing route. Whether it be a curl, a swing, a Texas, or just a flat-out go route. They're not giving him the opportunities they need. Arthur Smith is not using the weapons he has. You said it best, I believe, last week. Does Drake London, like, is he dead? Yeah, does he, he have a pulse? Not, yeah, he hasn't been able to do shit these last, fuck, four or five weeks, I think. Now, I understand you really expected Desmond, you really hoped and thought Desmond Ritter would take a step up to be that, in, to be a franchise quarterback, or at least an above average quarterback in year two. You had to sit him for Tyler Heineke. Heineke is playing decent, but I believe he's no out with injury. So Ritter had to step in last week, and what do you know? He uh, fumbled the ball on a fourth, on a quarterback sneak on fourth and one. Yeah, where have we heard that before? Ritter and a fumbling issue. Is he the new Daniel Jones? I think so. Yeah, that's kind of what I think. Um, oh, Jesus. This team is just infuriating. They have all the weapons in the world. Their defense should be playing way better. I don't know if it's just a play-calling issue or if players are not believing in the, in the team, which there's a possibility. And the fact that ownership 
and front office is saying that unless something changes or the locker room stops believing in Arthur Smith, he is going to stay as the head coach for next year, which I'm thinking like, great. Another year wasting Kyle Pitts, another year wasting Drake London, another year, well, second year of wasting Bijan Robinson. You're going to waste a quarterback as well there, Arthur Smith, or what the fuck are you planning? Well, they don't really have a quarterback. I mean, Jake, I just looked up the Cardinals-Falcons game from this past week. Passing-wise, they threw the ball 21 times. Bijan had 22 carries. So Bijan had more carries than those two quarterbacks had combined passing attempts. And when you run the ball 41 times in this league, you better have the greatest running game on the planet. You don't. Taylor Heineke was your second leading rusher behind Bijan with four carries for 34 yards. And like... Like we have said, Drake London, we need to check on him. He finally had at least an, some involvement. He got targeted four times and had three catches for 36. But I mean, I mean I'm mean, i not wanting to pile on the Falcons. Well, actually, I kind of am because I told people that they were chasing fool's gold. But I will admit as well, I was absolutely wrong about this division too because I went out on a big, big limb and decided to take the Panthers to potentially win this division. But crazy enough, Jake, that's not my underachieving team. My underachieving team is the Giants. And I'm going to enjoy this a little bit because I've told Giants fans on this pod, I said it early on, Jake, I thought that they would easily finish third because Daniel Jones is a bum. He's, Jake, you want to talk about busts? Can we talk about Ryan Leaf or Jamarcus Russell and now toss Daniel Jones into the mix? Because that's how bad he is, Jake. I know he's now out for the season because of his neck. And I understand, or, well, no, ACL. He was out for a little while because of his neck. But they're going to be moving on at the end of the year. Because I think what we saw, Jake, is John Mara really wanted Eli Manning again. You know, this sort of lovable, maybe not the most talented, but a guy to throw your arms around, develop, and then he wins you Super Bowls. Daniel Jones couldn't even win a bread bowl. I think that when I look at the Giants, Jake, there was legitimate talk about them potentially winning this division, or at least being in the mix for it, which I thought was absolute nonsense, because Daniel Jones is terrible he only has ever looked good when Saquon Barkley is healthy and able to run for 100 yards because Saquon basically has been facing loaded boxes all year that wasn't really possible now Saquon's played okay but even still Jake if I go to their point differential they are the worst in the league but negative 148 the next closest to them, Jake, is the New England Patriots at negative 97. They have a worse point differential by almost 60 with the Panthers. The Panthers have one win. And they have absolutely scored the least amount of points, which is saying something, Jake, because again, New England's only scored 141 points. 
the Giants have scored 118. And when you look at this team, now they have Tommy DeVito, which, you know, God willing for him, he's going to probably get killed because Tyrod Taylor, I think he might also end up being out for the year. But they have to draft a quarterback. And you look at them, Jake, what do you even do with the with the Giants as well, though? Because their receivers are not that great. Sterling Shepard's a shell of himself. Wandale Robinson is not a number one. Jalen Hyatt has promise, but the problem is, is he's just too young and he doesn't really have a developed route tree because he's just the one of the fastest humans on the field. And then you also think about, you know, um, Isaiah Hodgins, and we like him, but I don't look at him as a number one. I think, Jake, that the Giants are stuck in a place where they, this, like we mentioned, the Giants-Patriots might be the Drake-Mabel, because I think the Giants will lose this, and they'll have to draft Drake-May, because you cannot come back with Daniel Jones. Brian Dable, also, we've seen him getting frustrated. Now, you could potentially argue that that is just, you know, frustration boiling over from losing. But at the same time, I think there's a chance that the team is just a little off with him. I don't think he's going to be out, but I do think that it is something to keep an eye on. I wouldn't be surprised if Brian Dable stepped down from being the New York Giants head coach, kind of like how Sean Payton did, because he does not want to be there. They're on a three-game losing streak. They're one and four in their last five. I think they're going to lose again. Unless they get Drake May, I don't see Brian Dable wanting to stick around. I think... Oh, And the other thing... Sorry, my final point. I still don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for them to get Caleb Williams, like I predicted on our first episode. If they do get Caleb Williams, I think Dable will be more than happy to stick around because we saw what he did with that shitty roster last season. He got him to the divisional, which, granted, all all that shit that he did last year, he pushed that very anemic offense to a winning record and the divisional. He has potential as a head coach. You don't just win head coach of the year out of out of out of the for a fluke. Honestly, I think at the end of the day, he's a good head coach. Fire the OC. Keep your DC because Wink Martindale, I think, is doing good work with that team. He's not doing great, but he really doesn't have a lot to work with besides Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, get a new OC from the college rankings. And see what you can do with May or Williams. Draft fucking weapons galore in the offseason. Or pay for a really good number two. Then draft a number one in this coming draft. You have to do that. If you have to trade it back into the first round to get a really good receiver that might be dropping. So you can get you also get that fifth, fifth year of control. Do it. Big time. Big time, because right now, Jake, I think that the Giants' best hope is to lose out and get a quarterback, because what we're seeing is, we were right, you sign Saquon, you franchise Daniel Jones, 
now you're basically going to end up paying a guy to hold a clipboard. Or you're going to try and just cut him and have fun with the dead cap. But Jake, we're going to swiftly move onward to our Eyes on 5 for Week 11. And we're going to start things off with your first game. What you got? So my first game is going to be what we just talked about, the New York Giants versus the Washington Commanders. Oh, I thought they were playing the Pats. My bad. I think that the Washington Commanders only being four and six, I think they're happy with that. I think Rivera, if he's gone by the end of the season, it wouldn't shock me. But there are two things that they can be happy about. We've talked about the first one a lot. Second one, barely have talked about. First one, you have a new owner. You can be happy with that, Commanders fans. Number two, you have a franchise guy, in my opinion. Sam Howell has looked phenomenal this year. As a fifth-round pick stepping into his second year and first year as a starter, he is leading the league in passing yards. He has more than enough when it comes to the touchdown side of things that you have to look at it and think, like, damn, this kid, get him an O-line and let's see what happens. Because he's 17 touchdowns for nine picks. A lot of those, four of those picks came in one fucking week against the Bills. So half his picks almost has come in one week. He's been playing very good. He's at 66.5% completion percent, so two-thirds of his passes. And that's with him getting sacked. I think I remember reading a statistic that he was getting sacked 6.6 times on average a week. Until the last three weeks, where you saw that he got reduced to 3.3 sacks a week on average. So, he's reducing his times to get sacked, and he's improving little by little. He went against a pretty good secondary near Seattle Seahawks, which they have ball hawks in that secondary. Julian Love, for example, Jamal Adams, Tyreek Woolen, and Devin Witherspoon. They have some really good secondary pieces right there that can definitely pick the ball off. 312 yards, three touchdowns. Take that to the bank. You lost, but hell, you still did good, kid. I think that the Commanders should win this game in not a blowout fashion, but Adam, you usually look this up more than I do. What is the over-under for this game, and how many points do the Washington Commanders are up for this game? So the commanders are favored by eight and a half, which is eight's always a tricky number, especially eight and a half. The over under is 37 and a half. So that's basically saying, you know, like a, hmm, that's like a 21. No, my bad. That'd be like, like a 23, a tw- 15. Yeah. 23, 15 thereabouts. But Jake, I think what I would be looking at in this game is plain and simple. Like I said just a few moments ago, the Giants need to lose. I don't see them putting up too much of a fight here, but I obviously, you know, with divisional games, I'm always really, really weary of them because you don't really know what can happen. And so that's why I kind of just lean back and just hold on because 
you gotta enjoy the ride pretty much and just see what happens now i think if as far as points go it's a stay away game for me sometimes i like big favorites sometimes i don't this is one i don't love mainly because of the fact that the giants hell if they get a running game going who knows maybe they can make it interesting and sort of muddy up the game but jake here's a little nugget of information for you sam howell as this has the same amount of passing touchdowns as justin herbert he has the same amount of passing touchdowns as dak prescott he has the same amount of passing touchdowns as patrick mahomes he has one less than russ two less than josh allen and he has more than purdy he has more than stroud he has really come on and i'll admit Sam Howell, I was a little iffy on because I didn't think that there would be a ton there, but I thought he could be serviceable. He has definitely shown that there's something there. Get him an offensive coach, get him an O-line. I think we know that Rivera is going to be gone. It's just a matter of time of they're not wanting to fire Rivera in the middle of the season, nor do I think they should. I think Rivera's a respected coach. He deserves to go out at the end of the season and see this season through but i think that sam howell you like you had said he's a franchise guy and i think that moving forward i definitely like him and if they can get an o-line and i think they will probably draft a defensive player potentially early on if they can or they go for one of the tackles in the draft washington might be interesting next year but Moving forward, Jake, we're going to start things off with my first game, which is my Seahawks taking on the Rams in Los Angeles. Now, Seattle is 6-3, and three, Jake, but they actually have a negative point differential. Now, granted, it's not, it's not a big negative point differential. It literally is a negative point differential of one point. So it's not crazy. It's not, you know, the Steelers with their negative 26 point differential and being six and three. But I do think it is interesting because there are times where Seattle has looked like they have finally put things together. And then there are times where they have looked just bad, just plain bad. Now, the Rams off a bye does scare me if I'm a Seahawks fan because Sean McVay off of a bye usually plays pretty well. Even though this Rams team isn't great, LA always plays Seattle tough, whether they were in St. Louis or now here, and whether they had Case Keenum or Jared Goff or, hell, it, now when they have Stafford. Stafford has not lost to the Seahawks since he has come to the Rams. That's a, also a little bit of a nugget that you might not know because before, Stafford didn't really play great against Seattle when he was with Detroit. But if I'm a Seahawks fan, what I'm hoping is this is the ultimate test for Reek Wollen and Devin Witherspoon because Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua are going to be coming off buys. They're going to be fresh and they're going to be coming out looking to make a massive impact on this game. They are going to have to play extremely well. Now, interestingly enough, Jake, some places you will find Seattle favored by one, but what I'm seeing here is the Rams are actually favored by one, according to, according to ESPN, and the over-under is actually pretty high. It's 
46 and a half. So we're looking at, you know, a 24-23 ball game. That's basically what they're saying. I definitely think that's possible. I would probably take, if you can get points with Seattle, I would probably take that. Now, I'm not afraid, though, to swallow a point with Seattle if you have Seattle minus one. What do you think? This game is going to be close. I think that it really depends on how Tyler Lockett and Jamal Adams are since they are both questionable at this moment. And that one just came from the Seattle Times three hours ago. Stafford is an interesting one because, like you said, he's been pretty good against the Hawks as a Rams. Against the Lions, when he was the Lions, not so much. I think with Matthew Stafford... Again, I'm looking at the injury report right now. He is cleared, but he does have that thumb injury on his throwing hand. So I don't think you're going to see a lot of powerful throws. You're probably going to see a lot of quick throws and like a target, the the intermediate to short and maybe some inter, intermediate with like some slants in the middle of the field. I don't think you're going to see a lot of outside the number of passes and like I said, some deep. So... Fantasy owners, if you got Cup or Puka, probably took a lot of points just from the catching side of things. I think Seattle, I think they're going to get after him a lot, though. So, four or five sacks is not out of the question. But I really think one thing Seattle is missing right now is Uchenna Nwosu. With him having that injury, knocking him out for the rest of the year, I think it was, what, a peck injury? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, they're missing him quite a bit, but the rest of their freaking pass rush is stepping up. I mean, this is probably the best pass rush we've seen, what, since the Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett days, I'd say? Oh, easily. Easily. And you're, without arguably, your best pass rusher in, in Nuosu. So it's kind of like, damn. Okay. If they can continue, they're 6-3 and three right now. They win this game 7-3. and three. I, they're still going to be in contention for the for their division. If they lose this game, they're going to have a really tough time trying to keep up with the Niners. I think they'll have to beat the Niners potentially both times then. But Jake, we're going to move on to your second game. What you got? So my second game is going to be Raiders and Dolphins. This game is one that I struggled to pick because of being like, okay, I can't pick that game, can't pick that game. I picked those two teams too much. I'm thinking, fuck it. Let's pick the Raiders and Dolphins. One stat that we had talked about before we started this podcast today was Miami has not beaten a team with a 500 and better record this season. If they don't beat these rejuvenated Raiders, they fall to 6-4 and four and Buffalo has a chance to catch up with them now i think it's kind of the dead beating the dead right now in this division with the top two because dolphins are looking good but the rest of their freaking schedule is not a cakewalk they're going against a lot of good teams same with buffalo but buffalo has been looking down this year you said it best rejuvenated raiders they are five and five right now and they are feeling whatever their coaching staff is putting in front of them. They are hot 
and ready to beat the shit out of every team they face against. They are no longer the easy out Raiders. They are now the hard fought Raiders. You know who I kind of contribute them to? Who? I link them to last year's Lions. Okay. Not okay. They were good, but they were not excellent. But they were going to give you a game. They were going to give if you were going to try to take a yard, you were going to have to fight tooth and nail for every inch. They were not going to give you easy yardage like how they would have done under Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. I think now they're playing with a new path of fire and passion. They are not going to be easy. Now, Tyreek Hill, I expect to go pretty hard in this game because who do you have to cover him? You're going to have to double double him up every single time. That's really the thing. And is A-Chan coming back this week or is that next week? So, A-Chan is questionable, but they can activate him as soon as tomorrow from when we're recording on Saturday. I think that there is a chance that he does come back. He will most likely, because it was a sprain, there's a better chance that he is able to assume his previous workload that he was getting alongside Raheem Mostert. But Jake, this game really is interesting because the Raiders are 5-5. Five and five. You know, they're 500, and the Dolphins really need this game, like you said, to sort of shut the door on the reeling Bills. But Jake... The Miami Dolphins are favored by 13 and a half in this game. Now, I like the Dolphins a lot, and there's no doubt that they could definitely blow out the Raiders here because of the firepower they possess on offense, especially if Devon Chen comes back. But I would actually stay away from this game because these Raiders are a lot different than what we've been seeing from the past Raiders. Now, I also understand the line is probably due to the fact that you have Tua versus Aiden O'Connell. I can understand that, but at the same time, Jake, Colton Miller's questionable, but at least look for Max Crosby to potentially have a big game, Jake, because you have Rob Jones and Rob Hunt, two of your O-linemen, both ruled out for this game. I could definitely see them having... I could definitely see Max Crosby potentially keeping them in this game, maybe a couple sacks, but if you forced me to pick a side on this, I would probably take the Raiders just because of the fact that I think they, under Antonio Pierce, a player's coach, they can definitely keep this maybe close. I don't think they can win, but I do think they can keep this thing within a touchdown. Now, Jake, for my second game, I'm going to be picking the Vikings Broncos Sunday night football. And this game really, I'm going to run down real quick. It's going to be a battle of quarterbacks. The pastronaut, uh, Josh Dobbs, he's been playing absolutely incredible. He came on with the Cardinals and a lot of people thought that the story was cute, but it was going to end. He only won one game with them, Jake, but every game was close outside of one game with the Niners, but it was within, I believe, like three points or something at one point, because I think we did talk about that game, but then you also have Russell Wilson, Jake, and 
you might not realize this, but Russell Wilson has 18 touchdowns to four interceptions. He is basically having the equivalent season touchdown wise. He's one behind Josh Allen with seven fewer turnovers. And not to mention Jake, he's only two, he's only one touchdown, excuse me, behind Tua with three less turnovers. He's having closer to a CJ Stroud touchdown to interception ratio. Now Stroud is on another level, but even still, I would look at the Broncos definitely coming out and trying to play their game because while the Vikings defense is improved, the Broncos can run the ball pretty decently. Maybe not for a big chunk of yards, but they can grind you down. They can chew up clock and force you to basically score every possession in order to beat them. And I think because Russ is able to play mistake for three uh, mistake free football, I think that really helps this team win. And you also have to remember, Jake, they're on a three-game win streak, beating your Packers, beating the Chiefs, and coming off a Monday night game against the Bills. Now it is a bit of a short week, but I definitely think that the Broncos have the best chance of winning this game because for the Vikings, it's mainly going to be Josh Dobbs or bust. I don't trust their running backs at all because Alexander Madison is very bad. He's just not good. Uh, Denver is favored by two and a half. I'd probably eat those points, though there are some places where Denver is only favored by two. I still would take them no matter that number. If it was three, then maybe I'd lean Vikings. But what do you think? I think that this low key, besides obviously the Monday night game, this being the primetime game, this could be a really good primetime game. And I did not think I was going to say that with... Justin Jefferson potentially still being out. Kirk Cousins being out for the rest of the year. Vikings, like you said earlier, not having a fucking running game. This, I'm not going to say barn burner, but if we're talking like 50 to 55 points total for this game, I could definitely see it. I think that Hawkinson is going to be looked at a lot this game because I think Sertan's going to lock up either Jefferson or Addison, whoever is going to be the number one in this game. And who is going to cover Hawkinson? Justin Simmons? That's probably best case scenario, wouldn't you think? Yes, I think it would probably be him, though they're linebackers, Jake. I wouldn't rule out Nick Benito also getting in there a little bit. I think I that... I could see that. Yeah, I think that would probably happen. But it's going to be an interesting game. Now, the over-under is 42.5, so they're thinking about a field goal game, 23-20. I definitely could see that being the case, a little bit of a lower scoring game. But this does have the potential to also be a 33-30 game, like you're thinking. But Jake, we're going to move on to our shared game, Eagles-Chiefs, and... I'm going to just let you go first on this. Who do you think? What What are you thinking? Uh, Super Bowl 57 rematch. I don't know who to pick here. Because 
Patrick Mahomes does not look like Patrick Mahomes this year. Their defense is playing like a top three, top four unit this year. And I think that's what's carrying them. I think the Eagles, if they can fire on all cylinders, because I think we can both agree, they have not played a full game to their full potential all year. But if they could come out and say, you know what? Fuck you. We're at least kicking your ass this time. This could be something that... I'm trying to think of the right words. This could be something really good. I am going to have the Eagles winning this game. I think it's going to be close. Because if there's one thing we've learned, it's kind of like with Tom Brady. Never bet against Brady. Never bet against Mahomes. He may be throwing interceptions at a high rate this year for himself. But he will still pull a driver two out of his ass. And just find a Rasheed Rice, Travis Kelsey, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, or Jarek McKinnon for a ungodly, unreal touchdown. I think the Eagles are at least going to get a lot of sacks this game. Because, <laughs> well, they don't have the sod father uh, helping the quote-unquote Chiefs this time. That's very true. And Jake, I think the other thing also, though, is... With this being a Super Bowl rematch, what I'd also be looking at is these are two teams that actually neither really have played to their potential. I mean, you think about the Chiefs, Jake, they really have been looking rough. They're, and both teams are coming off of a bye. Keep that in mind as well. I would trust Andy Reid more coming off a of bye than I would the Eagles and their offensive coordinator. But I think what I'm very curious about is there are two different ways, there, there are two ways that this game could go. The Eagles can pound DeAndre Swift, wear down this Chiefs defense, and I could see A.J. Brown having just enough of a game to where he gets maybe 70, 80 yards, maybe a touchdown, maybe two, but I think Devontae Smith will definitely play a bigger role, and I think Jalen might have, you know, about 220 yards passing, two touchdowns through the air, maybe one on the ground with the tush push. But I think the Chiefs, if they win this game, it's going to be coming on the back of the defense like you had said. But I think Patrick Mahomes could also have a big game potentially with his legs. I'm not going to rule out he potentially having 60 yards rushing on the ground potentially. Mainly because of the fact that Neither team is really what they were about, what, nine months ago. Because the Eagles, they, like you said, they have not put together a complete game. But neither have the Chiefs. Keep in mind, the Chiefs have lost to the Broncos. That was the last time, if I remember right, that we saw them. And Mahomes had five turnovers in that game. I think that this bye week is definitely going to be something that helps them massively. Andy Reid off a bye is virtually unbeatable. The line is two and a half Kansas City. I wouldn't pick a side on this one, even if you force me, because I just want to enjoy this game. But Jake, I want to get your picks for this week. Now, like, like I said, we both went two and three this past week, and we were in unison on all of our picks. Who do you have this week? So this week... 
I have the Commanders beating the Giants. I have the Vikings squeaking out a win against the Broncos in a really close game. I have the Eagles beating the Chiefs and I'd say another pretty close game. I have Seattle beating the Rams by eh, maybe a touchdown, but I think it'll still be pretty close. And what was your fifth game? The uh, game was Raiders-Dolphins that you're thinking of. Thank you. My, my second game. Damn it, I forgot about that. Um, If the Raiders come and beat the Dolphins, it's not going to be as big of a shock as I think people would make it out to be. Because you said almost a 14-point advantage. Yes. I think that's a bit too much. If you say a touchdown, I'd buy that. But I have the Dolphins beating the Raiders. All right. Hawks, Vikes, comms. Dolphins and Eagles so I am going to pick my Seahawks in this game I think that they finally are able to exercise the Stafford demon that they have had recently with the Rams I am taking the Broncos because I just trust the Broncos how they are playing right now over the Vikings I think that Josh Dobbs is forced into turnovers that are actually costly because he has had a bit of a fumbling problem throughout the year I will definitely take the commanders over the Giants because I think the Giants are basically dead this season I will be taking the Dolphins over the Raiders but like you said I would not be shocked if the Raiders did win this but I am going to take the Chiefs to beat the Eagles I think that Andy Reid off a bye I just can't go against the numbers on that I think it's going to be a very close game Maybe a 27-24 game. I don't see 38-35, but I am going to take the Chiefs to once again get it revengeance on Andy Reid's old team. And Jake, for our closing thoughts real quick, I want to get your predictions for the Thanksgiving games because we probably won't record until after Thanksgiving, potentially on Black Friday. And Jake, we have, for those games, some pretty decent ones. You got Packers, Lions, Commanders, Cowboys, and 49ers, Seahawks for the primetime game. Who are your picks for those three games? I would almost never pick my Packers to lose to the Lions, but without Rodgers, yeah, Lions are going to beat the shit off. They're going to beat the brakes off of them. If the Commanders actually had an O-line... I would say I'd pick the Commanders here, but that Dallas pass rush is just not going to give Howell any time. And so, for me, it's going to be Lions, Cowboys, and the 49ers Seahawks is probably the hardest pick here because I think that they're both, you can make a case for both of them very easily winning this. It's going to be a close game either way, I believe. But I'm going to go Homer here and take Seattle to win against the Niners this time. I think they're going to one and one against them in the end, but I'd pick Seattle to win this one. That is very, very fair. And well, for me, I mean, you could probably guess where I'm going with my picks, but I'm going to take the Lions as well. I don't trust the Packers, even though it's a divisional matchup. I just cannot trust the Packers right now with Jordan Love. I am actually going to take the Commanders to shock Dallas because I do think that Dallas, in games that they play a strong team, they they fold. 
Now they can blow out the Giants. They'll probably blow out the Panthers this week. But I think the Commanders can give them just enough of a challenge. And remember last year, last game of the year, the Commanders with Sam Howell in his first start absolutely whooped the Cowboys 26-6. to I don't think it's going to be that big of a difference, but I actually like the Commanders in this one. And then because this game is in Seattle, I have to pick my Seahawks to win this. I just think that Seattle is too good. I think they will be coming off of a win against the Rams. I think they're going to be having some momentum. And I think even though on a short week and a potential sandwich game with coming off a tough, tough game against the Commanders and then moving into the Niners next week on a short week, I think that they could maybe look past the Rams, but I think that they will win against the Rams and the Niners. Those are our picks for this week and for Thanksgiving. And that's going to be it for this episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. Thank you all for listening. You can find us on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And for Jake Miller, I'm Adam Skirko. We'll see you next time. Take care. Hope everybody has a good weekend of football.